Our text today is from 2 Samuel chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 7 through 9. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 9. Hear, hear now God's Word. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and, and, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said. Today we're going to reveal secrets. You do have secrets, don't you? Sometimes people will say, I'm a very private person, but what they mean to say, but don't say, is, I'm a very secret person. Secret sins are those that you work very hard to cover up. Perhaps even what the Puritans call darling sins that you cherish and nurse and keep near, but still secret. You're a Christian, and, you, and yet you often give safe harbor to those secret sins in hopes that perhaps you will be the exception. That your sins really don't deceive. They really don't harden you. They really don't do what the Scriptures say they do. That your sins don't have bigger and perhaps unseen consequences. Your sins, let me assure you, are hurting far more people than you imagine. I received a call yesterday morning from another pastor. It's an old and familiar story of a man who had been hiding serious sins for many years. I can assure you that in a congregation of this size, there are secret sins that are just waiting just waiting to be revealed. Perhaps tomorrow, or next week, or in six months, or next year, sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of the mind, sins of the body. You have them managed, under control. You've covered all the bases, or so you think. Perhaps for now, they are a little sense. You're quite certain that they won't get out of hand. You might be near the edge of the cliff, but you're pretty certain that you won't fall off. You'll be, you'll be as surprised as anyone when your secret sin is revealed. Because God is watching. The children's catechism. Can God see you? Or excuse me, can you see God is the question. No. But he can always see me. If you've got one catechism question to learn the answer to, that's the one to learn. 
Hebrews 4.13, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Do not be deceived, Paul writes in Galatians 6. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And so we would all do well to forsake these sins now before they produce their bitter harvest. In fact, today is a good day to forsake those secret sins. Hebrews 3, 12-13, Beware, brethren, boy, when the Bible says beware, better sit up and take notice. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, notice the kind of uh, paradox here. Beware, brethren, Brothers in Christ, beware lest there be in any of you brothers an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The Bible is filled with stories of such sins. God teaches us over and over that we really have no excuse for not remembering how this story always ends. The righteous, uh, we're told in Psalm 1, is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He brings forth his fruit in his season, whose leaf also will not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then there's this statement. With the ungodly, it is not so. King David's secret sin has been recorded by the Holy Spirit so that we might see it, so that we might learn from it. And we'll get to the heart of this story in a moment, but allow me to set the stage with some background and some context. David had a very humble beginning. As God prepared for the coronation of the next king of Israel, he told the priest Samuel in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that the Lord has sought out for his, himself a man after his own heart. This should be the description of every believer in this place. A life dedicated to God's service and honor. 1 Samuel 17, 15, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend to his father's flock at Bethlehem. David's life was one of character and courage. Here he is even as a teenager. And he's busy doing multiple jobs. He's, he's working in the palace. He's also taking care of his father's sheep. He's very busy about many things. He's learning to play the harp. He's learning to use a sling. He's writing poetry. All of, all of these are things that God's going to use later in his life to bless Israel. Notice what God says about David in Acts 13.22. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. First, God was seeking after a man like this. He said, I, I God, I found David. Second, David met God's primary requirement for service. That is, he was a man after God's own heart. And third, the evidence that David had a heart for the Lord 
was that He was a man who will do all my will. Fourth, David was a very young man when all this was said about him. David's faithfulness in this humble sphere where God had placed him prepared him to be in a place, to be placed in a more important position later. And so in Psalm 78, we read uh, in verses 70 through 72, he also chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the ewes with suckling lambs. He brought him to shepherd Jacob. Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hand. I want you to get the picture that God's laying out here. We're not talking about a bad guy. We're talking about the very best. The best follower of God. A man after God's heart. So what's going to happen in David's life is not... Uh, is something that could happen to anyone when they're not careful, when they're not diligent, when they grow lax. He had a good reputation as a servant. 1 Samuel 18.30, David behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so his name was highly esteemed. He had a great reputation. And so David has this excellent start with the Lord. Perhaps you also have had an excellent start. Or you've known times when your heart was a heart after the Lord. Our story today is about what can happen to the very best of men when they let sin go unaddressed. How soon we forget. You see, even in the best of men, Success and power and busyness can cloud our eyes. This was Joseph's one plea to Pharaoh's butler. But remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, out of this jail. But we soon read in Galatians, excuse me, in Genesis 40, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Once he was out and he was doing his thing, how could Israel forget her beginnings? And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm? How did Israel forget that? Judges 8.34, Thus the children of Israel did not remember that the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hands of all their enemies on, on every side, they didn't remember that. So I'm asking you, have you forgotten what the Lord has done for you? Where would you be? Now it's amazing how we're able to either ignore or justify both small and great sins. And we should remember that big sins almost always start with a series of small sins, sins of neglect or sins of carelessness or sins of compromise. There's usually a slide into a great sin, not a leap. 
David didn't go from a man after God's own heart to an adulterer and a murderer overnight. He allowed himself too many special privileges. He allowed himself to be the exception to the rules. David thought himself to be something when he was nothing. Therefore, Paul writes, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So now we're going to look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, David's fall into sin. Verse 1, it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabah, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now here was the first sign of trouble. A little thing that no one would want to confront David over. He was no doubt a very busy man with many responsibilities. He had been to war many times. Indeed, he had a reputation as a great warrior. But instead of doing his duty, he allowed himself the luxury of staying in Jerusalem. Verse 2, then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked onto the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, and she was cleansed. Uh, For she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Now an interesting side note here that uh, Ben Alexander pointed me to, I want to drop in here, uh, regarding some palace intrigue that I think brings some, to show how how sin... uh, accumulates over time. A number of failures of David's are going to come together and create all kinds of problems for David. One of David's counselors was a man named Ahithophel. We read about him in 2 Samuel 15:12, And it's possible, I think it's pretty probable from just reading through this, that he was the grandfather of Bathsheba. This might explain why he was involved later with a conspiracy with Absalom. For example, he counsels Absalom later to sleep with David's wives on his roof, as David had done with Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel 11.3, it reads, In 2 Samuel 11.3, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? In the list of David's mighty men, in 2 Samuel 23:34, we read this, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, uh, and then also we read about Uriah the Hittite, who's also one of David's mighty men. So they're obviously all in this group of leaders. So you got it? Ahithophel, then you got Eliam, and his daughter is Bathsheba. Ahithophel wasn't just any counselor to David. 
He was close and important both to David and to Absalom, David's son. In 2 Samuel 16, 23, now the advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the advice of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Absalom was still troubled over his father's failure to deal with his brother's rape of his sister Tamar. And now we can imagine that Ahithophel was more than troubled over David's sin with his granddaughter Bathsheba. And thus Absalom and Ahithophel conspire to get revenge on David. Perhaps this is the betrayal that David writes about of a close friend in Psalm 55. Well, back to our text. The text says, then it happened. It just happened. Imagine that. Now, we have a truncated version of this story. Obviously, time is being compressed. This was more than a one-night stand. David, no doubt, knew that he knew uh, his next-door neighbors. He already knew her father and her husband, and apparently knew her grandfather. I suspect this wasn't the first time that he had laid eyes on Bathsheba. In fact, it is very likely that he had known her since she was a very little girl. David then pulls a Bill Clinton and he sends his aides to do his dirty work. Now remember, this is the same David that stood up to Goliath in the name of the Lord. This is the same David who had conquered thousands of God's enemies. And when he was finished with pleasuring himself, David sent her back home, assuming, assuming he had gotten away with his sins. But Numbers 32:23 says, Be sure your sins will find you out. God will forgive sins that are repented of, but the consequences of those sins often continue. David thought he was too smart, that he was too powerful to get caught. But that is a faulty assumption that many have made. Bathsheba is now expecting David's child. The consequences of this sin are about to become evident. Oh, what a tangled web we weave, right? When first we practice to deceive. James 1.14, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Back to our text. Then David, verse 6, Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah had come to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. 
So Uriah departed from the king's house, and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, you did, not come, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also and tomorrow and I'll let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, He ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go down to his house. You see what David's up to, right? He wants him to go be with his wife, so that'll take care of this unwanted pregnancy. He can say, well, it's it's yours. This child is yours. David now wants to manipulate the circumstances to appease his own guilt and conscience and cover up his own sin. Manipulation of others compounds his sin. If he could just <coughs> excuse me, if he could just get Uriah to lay with his wife, then no one would ever know. But David didn't bank on Uriah being a more faithful man than he was. His plan backfired, and David, in desperation, was willing to resort to any measure to escape the consequences of his sin. And so having dug himself a deep hole, he continues to dig deeper. Verse 14, In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell and Uriah the Hittite died also. So David's lust now turns to murder. As Jesus instructs us, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. We cannot sin with immunity. And sin usually comes in clusters. We not only hurt ourselves, we hurt the people around us. The innocent suffer from our sins. And so Uriah dies. By the way, not just Uriah. Several people die because of this scheme. So that David can protect himself. Verse 18. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war. 
Now remember, Joab knows what's going on. He saw this letter. And he charged the messenger, Joab does, saying, When you finish telling the matters of the war to the king, if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, Why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of uh, Jerubaseth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Joab had said, sent by him. And the messenger said to David, Surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field, and we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall at your servants, and some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encouraging. Joab knew what was going on. So this corruption is spreading. David would normally have been upset about a battle like this. But in this case, since the deaths of these men took care of his personal problem, even a defeat was worth the cost. Verse 26, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now again, you've got to understand that this has been going on for at least nine or ten months, right? Most of a year. But the thing that David had done, the text says, displeased the Lord. David thought now, okay, I've gotten rid of the problem. But no sin goes unnoticed. Just as God had looked upon the heart of young David when no one else could see it, so too he now looked upon the heart of David, forgot where he came from, and forgot who he was. God would not look the other way, not even when it came to David. And if you're a child of God, neither will he look the other way concerning your sins. 2 Samuel 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought, bought and nourished, and it grew up with him and with his children. So it's a pet. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives... The man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. 
There's that double standard. We're so often far harsher in our judgment of other people's sins than we are our own. Matthew 7, 34, 7, 3 through 4, And why do you, Jesus said, look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? David is prepared to act in righteous indignation in the name of the Lord against the man who stole a lamb, a pet. Are you as honest about your sins as you expect others to be about theirs? Then one of the most powerful passages. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Well, listen to this litany. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword. You have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the sun, in the, day, in the light of day. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who was born to you shall surely die. Then Nathan departed to his house. Well, I wouldn't have wanted Nathan's job. How was David going to react to the exposure of his many sins. Secret sins were now made public so that their full impact could be felt. The covenant head had sinned, and now all who were in the covenant would feel the sting. How many families, how many churches, how many communities, how many nations have been impacted. Verse 15, And the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David, and it became ill. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. 
So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do some harm. Then David saw that his servants were whispering. David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. David was a broken man. God's chastening judgment came upon the house of David. He allowed David to feel the weight of his sins. His sin had been no trivial matter. It seemed that way at the moment, I'm sure. Yet in the end, this will be a severe mercy to David. Because God still loved David. David confessed and repented of his sins. Verse 20, so David arose from the ground. This is another great passage. He arose from the ground and was anointed and anointed himself, washed, you know, washed his face and cleans up, changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he had requested, they set food before him and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this that you've done? You have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child is dead, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So David is now a contrite man. He responded the way a man after God's own heart should respond when he sinned. He received the judgment of God just as he had many times received the blessings from God. He humbly received rebuke and chastisement, and so now he was ready to be restored. I know that we have already had our corporate confession of sin and our public assurance of pardon like we do each Lord's Day. But I wonder, are there still some secret sins that you might have kept hidden? Wouldn't it be better to forsake them now before it brings the full bitter harvest? Yes, even the little sins. Sins of the mind, the attitude, the mouth, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. 1 John 1, 5-10, This is the message which we have heard from him, from Jesus, and declared to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, 
cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. How subtly temptation first approaches. If David could only have seen the disaster which would fall upon his kingdom and upon his family, the heinous sin of adultery, deceit, murder, the anguish of heart over having offended a righteous God, the death of his own child, how he might have feared and turned away from that first look. But sin's approach and method is to conceal its consequences, to lie to you and to me. Let's pray. Jeremiah said, Can any hide himself in secret places that God shall not see him? The Lord said, Do not I fill heaven and earth, Our Creator and Heavenly Father who is present everywhere in heaven and in earth in whom we live and move and have our being, we humbly bow before your presence and honor you this holy day. We cannot hide from your presence. For as the psalmist says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be as light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. Lord, we have done many things in the dark. We have turned aside from the paths of righteousness and pursued our own way. We have sinned in countless ways and done incalculable damage to ourselves and to others. Please shine your light on that darkness. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in us. And lead us in the everlasting way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God never brings us condemnation without offering us grace and healing through His Son. This is a recurring theme throughout the Bible. Simply stated, God loves you. Sometimes children and young people think their parents are too strict. The reality is that we all think that way about God sometimes. David certainly thought so when it came to restrictions on something that he wanted. But a more sober and wise perspective reveals that God's rules are for our good. What appears to be liberty turns out to be bondage. What appears to be bondage turns out to be liberty. 
The whole point of Nathan's charge against David was not to punish him, but to restore him. There have been many parallels between this chapter of David's life and the lives of others who have fallen into sin. Whether the man is a well-known figure or a common man, we all stand on level ground at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. God's healing, God's restoring grace is available to you just like it was for David. And so here we are at the table of the Lord ready to start over with a new week. He invites us to eat and drink the body and blood of our Lord to renew covenant with Him our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like the crimson, they shall be as wool. Father, we thank you for this table, a place where we are called to remember because we so easily forget. So as we are about to start a new week, to go out these doors to live at our house and to go to our places of work and enter into all the various relations that you have brought into our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a fresh vision of what Christ has done for us, of the fact that he purchased us with his own blood and that we are not our own. So help us, Lord, to make a fresh commitment to turn away from sins that are eating away at us and destroying us and hurting others, and to walk with you in faithfulness and to trust you that you will bless that and bring about our ultimate good and happiness for your glory, for our good, and for the good of the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. O Lord, it is often so difficult for us to see our own sins. We're so blinded by our own stubborn wills and our own self-justification and rationalization. We are grateful for your word, which will not leave us alone, but seeks us out and seeks our good. Keep us, O Lord, from going on blindly in some sin. Send someone to us rather than let us continue in those sins. Trip us up, shake us, search us. Open our eyes. And when you enable us to see our sins, give us the grace to own them directly and simply, as David did, and say, against you, you only have I sinned, that you are blameless, that, that you are blameless in your judge, that we are blameless in your judgment. Give us understanding to see that all sin is ultimately against you. A violation of your holy law and heinous in your sight. Let us all be sensitive to our sins, slow to speak words of self-defense, and quick to confess to you and to others. Restore to us the joy of your salvation, that we may teach transgressors your ways. Let us seek and hear often these words, the Lord also has put away your sin. But let us also see clearly that the consequences of our sins often remain, even when you have forgiven, 
hold this truth before us as we face temptation and keep us from lightly yielding to sin and counting merely on the assumption that it will be forgiven. Show us the horrible results of even our so-called little sins upon our family, our congregation, ourselves, and most of all, upon your glory before men. When such consequences befall us, let us acknowledge that your judgments are just and that you work all things, even these consequences, together for good for your own people. Bless now our day with rest and rejoicing as we gather around tables of fellowship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen.